Okay, I'm going to hit the intro music. Hello and welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brucker, and today on the show I am joined with Orlean to discuss the 1976 religious horror movie that is The Omen. Hello, Orlean. How are you doing today? Hello. This is one of my founding horror movies. Another one. Alongside Another Death one. Becomes Her. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this was kind of one of your picks. I mean, we, we, we decided together, but this was one did, that I've you have advocated for. I've been pushing for this one for a while now. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, you know, this is one that I saw once again, way too young. It was certainly just on AMC or TMC or something. And I don't know what grabbed me originally. I think it was partly just the the shock factor. Honestly, it's, it's still watching it. I was like, this is so unique. So so you caught this on TV originally. That's how. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's rare. I think that's like one of like the rare <laughs> things because that's kind of like what happened to me with uh, one of my foundational horror movies, which is uh, the remake of Haunting of Hill House. I'm sorry, not Haunting of Hill House, House on Haunted Hill. Haunted House on Haunted Hill, yeah. Yeah, I caught that on TV as a kid and then like I like saw it after it. But interesting. Okay, so your parents didn't introduce this one to you like Death Becomes Her. No, although I... I don't I don't remember anyone talking about this one, but also it seems weird that I would just watch it on my own. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I I saw it so long ago that I don't even remember anymore. So this was my first time watching it. I had never seen this before. Oh, it's so exciting. Oh my god. Yeah, yes. Not gonna <laughs> lie, I was really scared going into this because the the religious horror movies tend to freak me out more than any other kind of genre mm-hmm. of horror movies. And it's because I grew up Catholic and, you know, Fair. it was very much ingrained that like all of this stuff is real and a real danger. And all of this is to be taken as, you know, a harbinger of its <laughs> unto itself. <laughs> and I mean, it's also doesn't help the fact that as a kid, you know, that like the church bans certain movies. I don't know if this one was. I don't think it was, but like certain it movies. It should I think- be banned. It should be banned. But yeah, so I was honestly really scared of going into this just because of like, I, I just didn't know what to expect. But I had a lovely time with this movie. I this, knew you would love this movie. This has a lot of things that I like. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's from 1976 and I love these older movies just because the sound design is just so i don't want to it's like uniquely old if that makes sense like there's the sound it's of like classic it's classic it's like the sounds of there's like people walking or like they don't sound like that in like modern movies now mm-hmm. or just like people like brushing through things or like you know just just all of like the fully art is like so just just uniquely 70s and 80s i just love it the I was impressed by a lot of the a lot from this movie outside of just things that I liked from the seventies. Um, the the score was very good. 
Oh, the intro music that comes in just like serious and dramatic, but also mm-hmm. like fantastical. Yes. Yeah. This movie is very serious. Like this movie is taking itself as like a true warning to like the end of the yeah, world. Is, <laughs> I honestly, I, one of the reasons I wanted us to cover this movie is because I do love real horror. And like, this is, I feel like an example of super serious horror. Yeah. That's one of the things that I found in reading reviews from other people that I really like, like Sean Fennessy and even are looked on to Roger Ebert's website to see how he graded this movie. Oh. Roger Ebert gave this two and a half out of four stars. What? So that, that, that's a passing grade okay. on his website. So two and a half out of four. I did see that a lot of contemporary uh, film reviewers kind of that was like kind of like one of their marks against it that they felt like it was taking itself too seriously whereas like it felt like it them writing they felt like it was trying to be like an exorcist or but like be more serious than that or something because this is three years after the exorcist but i i haven't seen the exorcist for reasons i've already said too scared <laughs> <laughs> but the exorcist but, is fine it's a very mid movie in my opinion that's a hot take, but without this one is better without really having a movie like the exorcist to compare it to. I really enjoyed this. We are trying to score. The music is very good. I liked the plot a lot. When we get to the sub genre, I feel like there's a lot of fun things that this falls mm-hmm. into. Yeah. I just, and it was spooky. Like it was, a, it was genuinely, I was tense and spooked out like a couple of times throughout this movie. It was really good. Yeah, I love how serious it is because it feels like everyone is just fully playing along with like, this is real and what do we do? What do we realistically do? I love that about it. No one is like, this is a joke, right? No, they're (laughs) like, okay, this is what's in front of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and before we get like too too far Mm -hmm. away from talking about the movie, I just wanted to quickly say that this movie is directed by uh, Richard Donner and written by David Seltzer and Richard Donner, which I find interesting. He would go on to do Superman, the Goonies, all the lethal weapon movies. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so this movie came out in 1976 and Superman, the first one came out in 1978, which he directed. And I find that so just kind of poetic because Superman origin stories and Damien's origin <laughs> stories are like kind of similar. They're actually <laughs> like shockingly similar. I also have to talk about the how this was directed and shot and staged. I love almost every single shot in this movie is artistically staged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please. I I, I would love to geek out over that because I was was just loving everything about that. So it starts from the very first scenes. One of the first ones I started noting is Gregory Peck is shot from above in the hospital through an upper railing, almost as if we are like spying on him. Mm, mm-hmm. the, and and there's this theme. There's a lot of shots where someone is like being looked down on from above or looking down on someone else from above in interesting ways. And then when the when they show him the baby 
like he is watching the baby. He Gregory Peck like comes out from the dark on the other side of the mirror. And then the priest in the mirror cuts through both of them. Like the the way that it's shot is just so interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of reflections and just like just the the composition so- shots of them all together. It's it was outstanding. I I'm glad that you're bringing this up. Yeah, it was beautiful. And then later on, you know, there it's so common to just have like an aerial shot of a car driving on a road now. But what what they did is through one of the fences they shoot the car coming up the driveway like from a diagonal not even oh. from the position of the house so they're seeing so we're seeing the car come up the house again from this like third party omniscient kind of view very cool in the i love how you're kind of like uh picking up on how the the camera very much is kind of operating on kind of like this otherworldly almost like just like objective view that's like a little yeah. bit different from you know just how we would normally be watching a movie and it hark because mm-hmm. the point that you made about how we see uh, Gregory Peck early on in the um uh, I guess the hospital but kind of like yeah. peering down through the stairwell it automatically made me think of oh it's kind of like when they're later on in the movie in the cemetery being spied on by oh, like the dogs I like that mm-hmm. yeah I mean every shot I I started um, taking pictures of them and quickly, like, especially the first 10 minutes, which is like a beautiful love story and there's sunsets and there's meadows. And what I like through the whole movie, like the saturation of color, like everything feels really real. Mm hmm. Sorry, my dog wants to get out of the office. I'm going to let her out real quick. I'm so sorry. Okay. Okay. You ready to get out? Yeah. I just wanted to talk about. I guess I've gotten used to a lot of horror being really dull or the colors being less saturated or more like monochrome palettes. And I just loved like in this movie, it's spring. There are sunny days. Like clothing is colorful. The stained glass in the church is bright and colorful. Like they didn't tone anything down with like shading. Well, I think that's that's one really good point. And I think it's kind of playing into just that um, – because this, you know, we'll get into it when we get to the fear analysis, but, you know, this movie is kind of very much playing into like that. This is like the ideal family, you know, they're, yeah. he's in politics. He has a really nice job. You know, he has a very, you know, like pretty wife. They have like this kid together now and they live in things a are going home, well for them. Right. Yeah. Everything. She even says at some point, like, aren't we the beautiful people? Mm hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, you basically live in a Martha Stewart fever dream. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's also where like a lot of the horror also comes from because it's like, it's cool that it doesn't hide in like the shadows or like the dark mm-hmm. rooms in the house or even at night. It's stuff happens. Like one of the most uh, iconic things from the movie uh, happens in broad, happens in broad daylight. Yeah. Almost all the kills in this movie actually happen in broad daylight. Right. This isn't a secretive movie about what's happening. And I I also love <laughs> how often do we see these type of people hit upon bad luck in a horror movie? And by that, I mean, he's in line to be the president, she says at one point. His college roommate is the current president. He's the U.S. ambassador to England, like these people are like the richest. 
<laughs> and it shows with their house. That was something oh I God. noted. The, ha- the castle, the oh manor. Yes. Oh, it's 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 gorgeous. It's immaculate. Yeah, I, uh, I loved oh, it so yeah. much. Even even Gregory Peck when is he like? Isn't it a little much? And she's like, "What's much for the future president?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, this like. <laughs> That's yeah, so they funny. Have this- I, I wrote down that like the first 10 minutes you're in a love story. It's just everything is perfect and the baby is growing and it's sunny days and like you just throw your head back and laugh. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it kind of almost it kind of makes you quickly forget about the the transgression that Gregory Peck does early on in the movie and that lying about the baby yeah. surviving. You're even like, was it a transgression? Look at how everything is great. Like nothing bad has come of it. He has a, a little lie, but like, look at how beautiful their lives are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it sells it really well to where you're like, man, this is cozy. This house is beautiful. We're all just hanging out. I want to hang out in that house. Yeah. I and, do too. And you, you you keep a you've mentioned how you know they are a very it's kind of like a love story early on and that was kind of something I was a little surprised about when they do go visit the house I'm like they're like down to just like fucking this house without any furniture like they're just <laughs> <laughs> okay the other part of it is I had to look up how old Gregory Peck was because I was like he looks this much older a new dad okay he is sixty in the movie oh my in goodness. the movie like. I was like, why is old ass Gregory Peck here being the new dad? Like, this is who they cast as a, again, a new dad, future president, ambassador. He is 60 now, like in 1976. Ooh, do you, did you happen to look up the age of Lee Remick, who played Catherine? Yes. And what I'm also surprised about is she's 41 here. Okay. She does not look 41. I mean, she doesn't. She looks great. But mm-hmm. I'm just surprised at the ages in general when they're casting what you generally call even like a middle-aged family. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was the 70s, I guess. <laughs> it is weird. It, like it always like weirds me out too when I it's it's like that um whenever you watch a, a Christmas story cuz like the what appears to be the age difference between the mom and dad in that movie is like oh. striking. It's like <laughs> Because she looks that's a good point. <laughs> she looks young. Like she looks like she's like in her thirties, maybe. Yeah. And he looks like he's like in his sixties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was upsetting that Gregory Peck is sixty here. And like yeah. I mean, he's a handsome actor. He looks great. But again, he'd be like the grandpa of Damien. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, but uh, so in to pivot just like a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. So in preparation for The Omen, I do not own this movie on Blu-ray. And I know people know I normally like to watch the bonus features and stuff. However, I did get to watch some fun documentary stuff because uh, Shudder has this docuseries called Cursed Films. Mm-hmm. And they have a whole episode on The Omen. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's a, a 27, 28 minute episode. It's about like six minutes of the omen and then like 15 minutes of like just bullshit. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was really kind of striking. So I watched the documentary before I watched the movie. And what? well, it didn't like give anything away. 
Okay. But it because it's talking about how the movie is cursed in the sense of like what was happening on set and like in periphery oh. of the movie, like what was happening to the actors and the producers. So like poltergeist kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. They actually have an episode of poltergeist as well. Another and favorite. I do love poltergeist. So that's another blind spot for me too. That's a big one. <gasps> okay. I know. I know. So a couple of things I wanted to highlight that they mentioned that happened during the making of the omen to lead them to believe that this movie is cursed, which is like kind of like also like in a meta sense of like the devil is real. Why would he curse a movie like about anyways? It's weird, but uh, <laughs> you, yeah, it's like a I snake mean, eating itself. The reasonable but, explanation is that people weren't very careful in the seventies. Right. <laughs> but the, what I love about the documentary is that they do have, I forget like what his title is, but basically like a mathematician basically come out and just be like, this is what a a coincidence is. And like, does this whole rubric? He's just like, yeah, sure. Like it's a horror movie that like how all these crazy things happen, but like, we don't talk about non horror movies that have crazy things happen in them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then vice versa for all the other scenarios. Mm -hmm. But um, what was interesting in this is that for Gregory Peck, he was, you know, they shot this in London. He was, on his plane flying to the UK and his plane got struck by lightning. Well, he did. He did not die. Of course. I mean, the plane didn't oh. crash, <laughs> but, um, and then also the producer, I'm sorry, the writer's plane also got struck by lightning. Two separate planes, both got struck by lightning on the way to the production of the movie. I mean, the chances of that seem pretty small. It does seem pretty small. Right. And then also, there was, oh, I forget who it was, but there was another plane that 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 was like involved with this movie, and it did actually crash and kill everyone on board. And the pilot landed in like a pedestrian area, and he also hit his family that was driving on the highway at the time. What too. the fuck? Yeah, not only that, okay. but the <laughs> producer. While in London shooting this, uh, him and his wife were had reservations at a restaurant, and on their way there, uh, that restaurant actually got bombed. There was an IRA bombing, and Jeez. the uh, there's a part of this movie where they go to the zoo, mm-hmm. and we see all the baboons and everything. That's the moment where like the baboons are like on the car and everything, and we see Catherine like freaking out in the car. That was her actual like terror because the car stalled and it wasn't supposed to stop. And oh, then all God. the baboons just like attacked the car. Oh my God. <laughs> so that was her like actually freaking out. And they just like kept that in the movie. Oh, that's abuse. <laughs> and at that zoo, uh, you know, they had a animal handler that was uh, mauled to death by a lion. Oh my there. gosh. Yes. After they left. And then the, Special effects supervisor uh, on this, he died around the making of this movie. I think I think it had to be shortly after. Him and his fiance were driving, and they died in a car crash. And his fiance was decapitated, much like how a reporter in this movie was. Mm-hmm. And where they where the car wreck happened, uh, you know how like there's like there's like those country road signs is like this town so so far away mm-hmm. or whatever. There was a town called, so the sign that they 
that the car wreck happened at, it was at a sign pointing towards a town called Omen, O-M-M-E-N. And it was 66.6 kilometers away. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody made that stop. (laughs) So also the, the animal handler, they couldn't get the story straight. It was a lion or a tiger. So I'm like, how is that? Like, how do you not know that? But whatever. So, it's like six minutes of stuff like that, and then fifteen minutes of them interviewing like people that practice witchcraft currently, and then just talking about curses and everything. And then, oh jeez! Then the episode <laughs> wraps up with the producers with them interviewing the producer. Like, so do y'all think that this was cursed? Like, no, this movie was blessed. It made so much money. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Like, if anything, all like these weird coincidences just hyped up the hysteria for the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wonder if part of the reason this gets kind of like seen as playing second fiddle to other movies is just because this one didn't explode in popularity the same way, even though Mm. it's of like the same time and it has the same kind of, you know, creepy lore and it has amazing actors. Like for whatever reason, maybe the devil, it never blew up. (laughs) (laughs) Not in the same way. Like, yes, it was huge. Yes, it's it's a whole brand, but it's I I never see people talk about the Omen in the same way they talk about other classic horror. True, true, yeah, and that was something I was kind of surprised about. Me coming out of the movie, it's like, oh wow, this is like I really enjoyed this, and I was surprised I didn't. I was like having a hard time finding like glowing reviews of it, to be honest. Um, yeah, that's the devil getting to, to me. Getting it's to the devil, Roger Ebert's ear, be like, it sucks. <laughs> give it two and a half stars Uh, yeah I don't understand I mean I guess that's gonna be the theme of my recommendations which is like horror classics that are underappreciated and under discussed but they're amazing Mm -hmm. yeah no this was good this is this will be definitely else because I watched it by myself and when I came out of it I was telling Kat I was like you gotta watch this with me sometime you would like really (laughs) like this so, and speaking of coincidences, did have you seen the the remake that they did of, did of this in two thousand six? No, so I see almost no remakes. See, I didn't, I, I didn't, I haven't seen it either. But I just remember all of like the marketing around it at the time because so many people, because like you know the studios were really trying to capture that release date of six six oh six. Oh, geez. I don't remember any of this, but... Oh, I I remember the posters terrified me as a little kid. Okay. And I also find it very interesting that... (laughs) Sixes, man. I find it interesting that for the year 1976, that this was the sixth highest grossing movie in the the year. Oh, (laughs) nice. I'm looking up the 2006 one. I guess we'll have to watch it, but I think it should be like commentary because it's probably going to be way worse. And... Given the timing, I bet there's some horrible CGI. Ooh, possibly. I did see that Lee <laughs> Schreiber stars in it. He's the Gregory and Peck of it. Julia Stiles. I love Julia Stiles. So I like the cast, but yeah, it 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 does feel like they're like, oh my god, we're not going to have another six six oh six for like a thousand years. We gotta we gotta capitalize on this now. <laughs> oh my god, I can't roll my eyes hard enough. Also, it made a hundred and twenty million, so it didn't totally bomb. I just. It was the marketing, man. It was the marketing. It was like, hey, you got to see it. 
I've never seen anybody talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. It did not have great reviews on Letterboxd when I checked. All right. Well, we'll put it on the list because it, I mean, great bones. We don't have to do like a full review of it. We can maybe just do like a like a comparison kind of. That's true. I also, I'm looking at the kid they cast and I just think the the original Damien is so oddly perfect in a way that I don't know how you'd recreate. Interesting. Okay. I, I like I like that take though, because he is he, he, What a kid. He, he, what a weird little kid. I know. He is <laughs> I wonder how many days they had with him. Cause, you know, like kids grow up like really quick, you know? Like, I mean, I don't imagine this taking like years to make or anything like that, but I wonder I did I, I did feel like they had either a kid who looked remarkably like him, but younger, or they did some of those like pre shoots mm-hmm. with him slightly younger. Yeah, because like he's he's in this movie, but he's also like not. He has a presence, oddly, but it's he's not. You know, he, I mean, Gregory or with Gregory Peck, like hundred percent of the time. Oh yeah, Gregory Peck is our our like point of view character. Mm-hmm. And- it would have been. It would have been way too campy if, if we had the point of view of Damien in this. I think it would take away a lot of the allure. Mm-hmm. Because we see, we experience Damien the same way that Gregory Peck does mostly, which is in these like bits of time where he never sees like the full story of what's going on. And that's why when Lee starts experiencing it, and again, we don't see most of it. We like Gregory Packer, like, what, what, what's going on? And she's like, don't let him kill me. And we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's legitimately unsettling. Is Gregory Peck in this movie an absentee parent? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. it. I'm not sure he wanted a kid. And again, I don't know if he's supposed to be 60 in the movie or if he's supposed to be like a young 50. I don't know. Either way, like he's coming to parenthood late and he doesn't seem that enthusiastic about it. Even being a 70s dad, he is not there. It's a good point. I mean, he is. That's a good point you bring up about him and like, you know, whether or not he actually wants to be a parent because a lot of his motivation for adopting Damien and everything is that like, he doesn't want his wife to be disappointed. Right. He's like worried about her. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if part of it is he's just trying to construct his run for president. Oh, he's putting together his perfect little family. That is interesting. And you know, a kid, a son is such an essential component to show him as a caregiver, as someone with warmth. So, yeah, I wonder if that's part of the uh, original sin of Gregory (laughs) Peck's character is not only that there's this lie, it's a lie in service of, like, this image. Yeah, no, that that is really interesting how, like, the the domino, how the dominoes fall in this because, like, they could have, if they wanted to, it could have written to just be, like, you know, she just gave birth to whoops. Yeah, <laughs> like it just ha- it like has to happen didn't... to somebody. <laughs> yeah, so I guess like it just kind of builds more to, I guess like the lore of it, or like you know, I guess like the writer maybe thinking about like why would it make sense for like this idyllic family to birth something like that without mm-hmm. 
anything else going into it. I don't know. It was interesting. I mean, I wonder if there's also some like social commentary here we're not getting about rich people and like international quote unquote adoptions. Like the way this happens unofficially, there's no record. Someone just hands you a white baby boy. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if there's a, a sociopolitical thing here. Was okay, you, man, the, the opening of this movie, I just find fascinating. And you keep making me think of new things. The priest <laughs> was the priest actually there. Like, was that? Oh, no, he was. Cause we see him he later was. on. Yeah, we see him he later was on. real. It, and it, I get this confused with, I think, Rosemary's Baby, which has a similar kind of opening or like similar machinations happen in the beginning. Mm. I think like there's a there's a priest and a nun who are like coordinating the handoff of the baby. But yeah, it's a question of like, did the priest do this or did this happen? I think it's possible that the priest did this because I agree. Because at the end, I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but like at the end of this, they say that because don't the monks say that the priest uh, gave up his faith? Mm-hmm. So like, did he do that here? And like, you know, like how far? Like, when did he actually do it? Is it here? And that's like he's playing into kind of like the Judas role here and everything, just to fulfill this prophecy or whatever with the Antichrist. Or you know, was whatever happened behind the scenes experiencing the birth of the antichrist a thing that broke him oh yeah interesting right i i don't know i i like how little we see of the behind even though we have kind of this omniscient point of view there's a lot we don't see Mm -hmm. yeah i i like that though i like that the movie is like letting us fill in those blanks and mm-hmm. just it kind doesn't of explain it too much it doesn't over explain how or why or where this came from mm-hmm. it's a perfect amount yeah i agree yeah it's oh, man, man i feel like maybe we gotta do like a whole thing just like dissecting that opening i don't know but <laughs> oh it's so good it's it's like a it's like an opera in itself yeah. in like 10 minutes Be- because like <laughs> what was making me think he he maybe was he really there was just the whole like reflection in the mirror it's so ghostly you know oh like, i love uh, there are so many mirrors throughout this and that's it's funny because we talked about that recently with death becomes her i think i have a thing for mirrors and horror i don't know we gotta watch <laughs> oculus then okay haven't seen that great but yeah, with the mirrors in this scene and everything, because it besides him appearing to be like very ghostly, it is like a devil tempting him to like do something, you know, like like just take this baby. Your wife doesn't need to know. The re- he even says like the resemblance is there. He does look Which, like you. Like, that's so like all right, BS. he has he has that's dark hair. Okay, how little Gregory Peck knows about babies is he's like oh yeah okay. Yeah, I think he's just like hey, don't worry. He like, he's not gonna have like red hair or anything. You know, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, the, that's a real gamble he took. In fairness, like I don't I don't know that most people would take that, but yeah, I, it's a, the mirror thing. Also, makes me think of this constant like these characters are never looking into themselves, like. It takes them so long to realize something maybe off. Mm. Like they have the 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 minor annoyances, but it doesn't add up to anything until like 
Lee is almost dead. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it takes a lot to push them to seeing what's going on and everything. And which is like a staple in horror, you know, people in horror movies tend to ignore the harbinger. I mean, that's like why a movie happens, but the literal harbingers marching into your home. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. I father Brennan, just all-star harbinger. Uh, He was, I loved him in this all in black. Like when he's, the shots when he is walking away from Gregory Peck and just this black suit, black hat. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's it's so good. I, I almost wonder, though, if like their apprehension to like take things seriously or even like notice these oddities is kind of comes from they don't seem to be a particularly religious family. I mean, like, yes, she like went to like a Catholic hospital in rome to like give birth but like well they go to church well they're going to a wedding that's at a church that's true so it doesn't and like i don't really see like religious iconography in their house i don't see like a crucifix in the kitchen or anything like that so it's like Uh, yeah i don't get the vibe they really observe anything yeah and which is i think fascinating and maybe kind of like plays into like this messaging of how you know like you know wake up people <laughs> you know you gotta you gotta be reading the scripture to, to to see the signs but uh oh i thought it was more like he's gonna be president so he also doesn't want to be too religious in any particular direction or too observant you know like there's a i i don't know i think it's a lot of potential commentary on like the political class the elites who like talk about religion but even when the Antichrist is in their home, like, can't recognize it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, this, this would be bad for my polls. Um. That's exactly, if this were if this were made now, he'd be saying, like, this is this is going to run terribly in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, but how are we going to spend this? I'm just, like, imagining, I, I want a West, West Wing episode on this. Oh, that would be... <laughs> but I do love how little of that we get. Where, like, once Gregory Peck realizes shit is real, he's not like, oh, my reputation. He's like, let's dig this shit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's and, he's fully in it. Yeah, it gets a little Indiana Jones, which is also, like, the tie-in I needed. It even has the, the guy who plays Sala in it, oh, too. Oh, no! Like, literally, <laughs> I knew you would like this movie because it has, like, all the things. It's, like, action horror in some parts, but then it's also, like, religious horror and, oh. It's such a good combination. I think that's a perfect segue to get into the subgenre categorization. You ready yes. to get into that? Right, Absolutely. Well. So getting into the subgenre categorization of the omen. I know we kind of talked about the like kind of like religious horror in this uh this is obviously a supernatural paranormal mm-hmm. horror movie which are some of my favorites just because like the rules are sometimes unique for each one and you're kind of figuring things out and i will say that this is one of the rare paranormal movies where there are like actual like bona fide deaths in it uh yeah this th- has a body count i told you this has a high body count and a weird one and for those listening, we will be doing a kill grade of this on the Patreon, so be sure to head over there. But uh, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I have a, I have a few, I have a, I have a few things on my list here, but obviously supernatural, paranormal horror, the Catholic, religious, Christianity mm-hmm. horror, besides the obvious, what else were you getting from this, Orlean? Okay. I want to talk about, we can figure out what the subgenre is. I love the subplot of how like the photographs start to tell how people will die. So it's kind of like a fortune telly future. I don't know. Okay, I'm happy. I'm haunted, happy. Camera. <laughs> haunted camera. <laughs> I'm happy you brought this up because this is one of my subgenres, and I like to talk about not not just like it's not. It's, I'm cheating here. It's not like a, a genre, but like stemming mm-hmm. from like what other horror movies it reminds me of. Yeah, and the photographs and the deaths themselves and how they play out felt very Final Destination like. Oh, 100. percent I mean, Final Destination owes so much to this movie. Yes, it really so does. Whether much. they know it or not. Yeah. They have to know it because some of these were all I mean, the window pane off the truck decapitation and then the the like window pane decapitation in one of the final destination movies. Like it has mm. to be an homage. It has to. <laughs> I really want to know how much they're aware of that because at Final Destination, it started out as an episode of X Files that they blew up to a whole movie. So and I, a lot of episodes of X-Files and things were inspired by these old movies and Twilight Zones mm. and like short stories oh, as I'm learning. <laughs> so it doesn't really surprise me that someone was like, what if the Omen but an X-Files episode? Oh, cool. I mean, th- that's I, a great I, idea, actually. <laughs> I never watched it, but there was that show on, I want to say CBS uh, or ABC called Evil. Um, I never watched it. My grandmother watched it. Is that the <laughs> culty one? No, it's it's kind of it's basically X Files, but it's just it's just like like demon possessions, like but X Files. Oh, so, but it's not supernatural, like if that makes any sense. Like, it's definitely like a case of the day sort of thing. But like there's a skeptic, and then there's like an exorcist, and like they're just going around ghost busting, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. So it's it's kind of like Lucifer. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness! I did not expect Lucifer to, to come back in. Oh, maybe I should have expected that reference. This is the perfect that. place. Yeah. Yes. How did we get to a place where we could have Lucifer just like run in a nightclub in LA and be in a love interest without the Omen? <laughs> Actually, that's my book. From the Omen to Lucifer. <laughs> it's like your A disease, but you're. <laughs> O to L's. How, yeah. how did we get here? Yeah, I don't I don't know what you called the subplot with the photography or like the final destination predestination horror. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think that's cool. I, I mean, it definitely like, falls into like the paranormal supernatural stuff. It's just like getting deeper into that niche of like what we're familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. I just love it. I, I forgot about that subplot. Or I guess I had never really like specifically looked at that in my mind and I was like oh my god it's the camera is going to tell how you're going to die and this is this inspired so many like subsequent stories so is this movie really about a haunted camera not a haunted boy (laughs) (laughs) this movie is about so many different things that I'm not totally sure because on the one hand you tell someone like oh it's about this kid who is like maybe the Antichrist, because we don't even know for sure. Like, yes, there's all this weird lore and this creepy priest, but like, 
as Gregory Peck also hesitates, we would hesitate. Is he the Antichrist or is like a lot of freaky shit happening around him? Mm-hmm. And what, what plays into that too, but like, you know, is he the Antichrist? And Gregory Peck says this at one point in the movie, but it, the movie really does play off how cute and small this kid is, you know? Like, yeah. It's, it's like kind of like hard to really he is grasp. cute. Yeah. He is. I mean, he's cute and also scary when he smiles. I mean, he wouldn't be scary just as like a kid you see, but because we know he's Damien and like he has a 666 on his head, like, yeah. We're like, fuck, he's going to kill everybody. But we have no real indication of that. Even, even arguably his kill, quote unquote. Um, I see. That's uh, the. Th- that's the thing I wanted to talk about when we get to, I guess, like, like the I should just call it interpretation segment, but like our sure. like messaging interpretation segment about like, is is Damien aware that he is evil? <laughs> like the I devil. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so at all. I think he is a cute little kid and weird stuff happens and he has like a demon hound. Yeah. Hell hound. Well, we assume, again, we assume because we see the pieces around him and we're like, oh, this is that. We have no confirmation. I, I think that's the other, I, again, I don't know that it's a subgenre because I think all of horror plays with what is reality. But this really gets at like, do you know what's real? And, what if you don't know what's real? <laughs> and I like that too because you know me going into this semi-blind. Mm-hmm. I, I knew about the the very infamous uh, it's all for you, Damien. Shocked that that was the first kill. Not gonna oh lie. Oh my God. I thought that yeah. was way deeper into the movie. Oh like, no, that one is really a shocker. Yeah, yeah this movie is just like, we don't, <laughs> this movie is like, we don't fuck around. Like this is. No, <laughs> they do not. They show you right away like kids' birthday party, circus, daytime. Oh yeah. I'm also shocked that it, it was his fifth birthday and they didn't just do like the easy like it's his sixth birthday. Like I thought, I thought we, this would have been like that uh, Jim Carrey movie, the number twenty three. We're seeing sixes everywhere in this movie. No, but. I mean I love how restrained this movie was overall mm-hmm. with the subject matter. Like the actors are serious; they're not cheesing it up. There's not; it's not campy. It is a serious horror movie that is trying to say like, what if? <laughs> so I just love that. So we, we keep talking about Damien and, you know, whether or not he knows he's the son of the devil, the Antichrist. Does We're that... never really clear on what it means in this universe, right? Uh, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, okay. Does, however, you know, whether he is the son of the devil or the Antichrist, whatever, does that count? Does that make this count as a possession movie? I would say no. I lean no as well. Because we see no signs of possession. And so, I don't know. I think I come to this movie with a lot of, like, supernatural content I've consumed since. And there's a supernatural episode that is kind of like, what if the omen, but the kid is slightly older. And the kid wants to be good. Oh, that's cool. You know what I mean? And so, Mm -hmm. like... What if, like, the end of the movie is the creepy Damien smile, but there's nothing that says he's going to, like, burn the oceans. It's all these, like, men's fears. Right. It was all, like, these fears that are in, like, scripture and everything that 
Peck is learning about throughout the movie with all these harbingers that he keeps meeting and saying what's going to happen. Yeah. I know. And I love, oh my God, what would be so good for our eventual like religious horror discussion is all of these harbingers makes me think of midnight mass and like, does it mean what we think it means? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I just watching it because I think the first time I, I watched this, I fully bought in. I was like, yes, Gregory Peck, we are hunting down this essential scripture to find out what's going on. But on subsequent watches, I'm just like, are we on a wild goose chase? But I love that element of it too because it feels it feels like more of an adventure kind of movie because we're like in multiple countries, we have multiple settings, he's talking to different types of people. Yeah, no, it definitely kind of falls into kind of like quasi fantasy but like like adventure sort of mm-hmm. movie uh, towards the end of this uh the 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 third act, especially the third act of the movie. Yeah, with- if it's like if if <laughs> Indiana Jones and like the potential Antichrist. That's, right. that's this movie. <laughs> but getting back to the possession, I think that there is a key scene that can help answer if it is possession or not. And that okay. is the the tricycle scene. When he's in his room, just going around and around in circles, and mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Baylock is watching him. And the, the way the camera is like working, you know, we're going, we're cutting between watching Damien go in circles and like watching like the crazy eyes of Mrs. Baylock. And it's like, who is communing with who? Like, is mm-hmm. Damien trying to tell her, let me out of the room? Or is she influencing, influencing him to go and wreak havoc and like knock uh, his mom off the table? Mm-hmm. Like, like who, like who is actually instigating? This? Or are like, they both like feeding on each other's energy, and it results in this like dark? Yeah, I, I don't know because part of me is even like, is Damien intending to kill his mom? I don't think so. See, I, I think the movie leaves like wants it to where like it's hard to tell because it just totally. does just look like a five year old just. Go, doing whatever just plowing wants into, to do. Yeah. that's what i mean and so i don't know i and the the movie is also very clever in that like when he does look at his mom hanging there's no facial expression you know he doesn't do like an evil smile or right a it's not like Haha, anything. i got you and also it's like hard to believe a five-year-old would even like really comprehend like what's happening and like have like a like a, a, a like an urgent reaction of, like oh no you know so Right. Uh, it it does play it off as like, you know, maybe Mrs. Baylock is just just like influencing just weird. him to do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we also is she a minion of Satan? 95% yes, but 5% maybe not. Maybe she's just some creepy governess obsessed with like their family. Ooh, maybe, maybe she's working for like the his, 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 the people that he would be running against. Be like, just go oh my god, yes, his political opponents, yes. and they're getting like Wrecking opposition research. Yes, yes, like that's what I mean. I I just I love how they play it, where like everything can add up one way, but it's not a hundred percent. Like it's shaky. Mm-hmm. It's it's so good. The the last subgenre I have, and we've kind of hit around this, but uh, 
I found this, and I was shocked that this movie offered this, but I found this to be a kind of like a mystery thriller investigation. Yeah. It plays into the adventure stuff that we talked about. Yeah, I love the mystery, and I lo- we so rarely see a Gregory Peck character be the one to chase down this kind of obscure, archaic information. Mm-hmm. I love that. I actually love seeing this like older man who's like, I have to figure it out for my family. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And it's, I, I love also, it's not just him, but uh, the sidekick of the, the reporter coming love in, the reporter. getting involved with all this. I really enjoyed that. I, I was kind of annoyed by the reporter in like the first part of the movie. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned the him taking pictures of the priest. I found it so odd that multiple times he just like yells from like halfway like across the courtyard. He's like, hey, father. He just turns around and like, I mean, he, like literally strikes a pose <laughs> and lets him get like a few. He's like, thanks. It is weird, but I I don't know. I wonder if like the photographer is like on to something. Like he has a spidey sense. Uh, oh, it's the haunted camera telling him to to do it haunted or cursed but what's interesting is like in the beginning it's just a broken camera and so because remember in the lobby Mm -hmm. they just like bump into each other and it breaks is just is gregory peck just uh, he's like oh my god pig pen from 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 the peanuts charlie brown just because he's just been living with damien he just can't help but just he just like oozes just like bad evil on him yeah gets on people (laughs) It's it's just like it's like his kid has lice and now he has it too and he's just giving it to people at the office. Yeah. I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I really like the mystery element. It's not quite thrilling. I think it kind of is. Okay. I mean, maybe also because I've seen it, I'm so familiar with the beats. That I was kind of like, and then this happens, and then this happens. See, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, so it did feel very much like what's the next step? What's the next thing? What's the okay. next mystery box? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, like a spooky national treasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's if someone were like, "What do you really want to read?" Spooky national treasure is what I really want to read. I think that like, you would at my core. I think that this discussion is making me think that you would really dig the movie as above, so below. I think that you I'm would. I'm just end up- so scared. It is scary. At least, at least to me it is because of just the religious stuff in it. But yeah. I'm not even that religious. Like I haven't been to church in like years, but like it's just it's just ingrained. It's the Catholic guilt. It doesn't matter how far away you get from it. You never it, you never escape it. Yeah. I mean, I also think this movie did a good job of showing like it's not just whatever is in the current you know, atmosphere they're in. It's also this like deep mythology. And some of it has been like lost. Yeah. I love that aspect too. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like I've said everything for subgenre. Uh, do you want to move on to the fear analysis? Yeah. Getting into the fear analysis of the omen, according to Dr. Carl Albridge, there are five types of fears that humans share psychologically, and those are the fear of extinction or death, mutilation, body invasion, loss of autonomy, separation, abandonment, or rejection, and then finally, humiliation, shame, worthlessness, i.e. the death of ego. So, Orlean, what types of fears do you think that the omen from 1976 is getting into? 
So I thought about this because it's, I don't think there's a lot of ego destruction in this movie. Um, I don't think so. Our characters are like blessedly sane. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I don't extinction, but not of the self so much as like, what if this is the end of the world? And I don't really know what that falls under. See, I had the fear of the apocalypse, like kind of as mm-hmm. well. But I also, I did think that there was a fear of death in this just because of how much the movie foreshadows our characters' deaths and like they're coming mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for uh, 50, 60% of the movie, Gregory Peck's motivation is to prevent the death of his wife. That's true. Yeah. So I feel like that, I mean, I think in almost all horror movies, there is a at least a superficial uh, level of the fear of death, just for, like mm-hmm. slashers and stuff. But like, I felt like this was really getting into like actual like death itself, like like almost like the specter of it, and like mm. it happening not just to you but to your loved ones and you trying to prevent it. So I, I felt like that this was the fear of death was not me. Perhaps not the top fear, but it was like one of the Mm -hmm. tops. That's fair. I think that ties into what I really focused on, which is more the loss of control. You know, theoretically, or not even theoretically, from the very first scene, we see Gregory Peck controlling the decisions of their lives. And like they control where they live. They control the jobs they take. They control the, the baby they get. Everything is so controllable. Until everything is completely out of his hands. Yeah, there it, it that kind of falls into autonomy, but not. I feel like not, 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 not exclusively. I don't know because because kind of what you're right. describing is kind of like that fear of just like not having control over your life, not having like agency mm-hmm. over. Yeah, like not what's having happening. agency is more where like they may have the physical control of their bodies and they have control of their minds, but they're subject to things they don't understand and have no influence on. Which is kind of a cool metaphor for just like what it's like to be like a five-year-old, right? Like you don't really have agency over your life either. Like you're just, everything's dictated by your parents. So now it's kind of reversing that. How like they don't have agency over their kid. It's like their kid, through indirectly metaphorically whatever is kind of controlling their lives and like they can't really get a handle on what's happening even though they should be because they're the adults in this situation but yeah in a similar vein you could say this is a metaphor for what it's like being a parent you don't know what you're gonna get you cannot control the child you get like you get what you get and it's it's just a roll of the dice that that was something I had too. I had the the fear of parenthood, and you said it very well. And that's something that my best friend talks to me about. Is that like this is like one of his biggest fears? Like not mm-hmm. like being a dad, but he's but exactly what this movie is. He's like, it doesn't matter like what you do. You could be like the best parent ever and still raise a shithead. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is. <laughs> This movie doesn't really get into the nature nurture debate because we don't get into that like day to day influencing behaviors. But that would be a really interesting angle to look at the omen through as like a personal family science experiment. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would. Oh, that's so cool. That's a that's a really cool like lens to look at that through. Yeah, because of course the real question at the core of this is. 
So what does it mean if he is? Does that mean there's no more influence? Does it mean there's no more decisions? Or does that open up all this like, well, he's with the, or he was with this like pretty lovely, if kind of detached, rich family. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder like how much, was there something like significant about him turning five? And that's like when all this stuff started to happen. Like were there like other signs prior to all of this? Oh, yeah. Maybe they didn't even notice because everything else was so lovely. Right. Yeah. That they were like, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious just to like know about like stuff like that because like, cause you were kind of just how you were saying, you know, is he, you know, is he actually the Antichrist? Like, does that mm-hmm. mean like it's just an unstoppable force, you know, like, like no, right. no, no amount of like kind influence from his upbringing can like really change it. And I almost wonder if the movie kind of answers that by having all of these external factors influencing him because like that's like when like the dogs start to come in and like start to like influence and like through mind control or whatever tell his mm-hmm. nanny to go hang herself and like then that's when we get uh, Miss Baylock uh, coming into the picture and everything and she starts being like really weird influencing things and so I don't know like I almost wonder if like the movie if like maybe the movie is saying that the devil if he is the antichrist the devil's going okay he got into a too good of a home they're too nice <laughs> i gotta send my demon dogs and miss Baylock go over there and fix this shit right now like i wonder if like because oh see i saw it a different way i saw them as the protectors who are gonna come per- to make sure that like he he grew up but i love how we never get a single scene of damien talking to mrs Baylock alone or him talking really at all yeah well yeah but that's what like we don't know that she is influencing him it's all implied oh i just love how smart this is it's so good just a quick note it doesn't have to do miss Baylock, mrs Baylock, but i found it a very cool detail that in damien's room there is always a fire going in the fireplace. I just found that to be like a nice little touch. Oh, I didn't notice. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Every single time they go in his room, there's always a fire going on in his fireplace. Wow. Again, what a nice life. And I know. I know. <laughs> that sounds so cozy. <laughs> <laughs> it does. But yeah, so I mean, I feel like, yeah, like kind of like the fear of like parenthood and just like you ha- losing agency over your family's life and and things like that. I feel like that, that was like the major fear from this. Yeah. Besides the apocalypse. (laughs) I did want to bring up just one note that I wrote down about how the seventies was such a different time, even in terms of like our social fears, when you could just board a plane holding a bundle of knives in your lap, looking extremely emotionally distressed. (laughs) The seventies, <laughs> man. I do. I gotta say, I'm so happy you brought this up. I gotta say, this was a very. I, I'm sure it was unintentional, but this was a f- kind of funny editing joke that they had in this because he throws the the daggers away. The photographer goes and picks them up. Immediately gets decapitated and yeah. then smash cut to him <laughs> playing in there in his lap. And he's he's like, he I guess learned is, his lesson. He's like, all right. He's like, fine. I'll go kill the kid. <laughs> I know, but they're like literally in his lap. It's I know. like, dude, you can put that in a bag. It's it's but just it, 
again, it, 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 it's it's the visual storytelling that got let us though. Oh yeah, yeah it's, it's very Indiana Jones where it's like no time to find a bag. We we're just on to the next one. They should have done like the Indiana Jones, like you know, like airplane red line the dotted. Going, but there's just but instead of a plane, it's just a dagger just flying across the country. <laughs> then like an upside down cross where Damien is. He's just getting closer and closer. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Jeez. And speaking of upside down cross, and then this isn't also like with the fear of death and everything. I feel like that's something that kind of builds that case for like the fear of death. Is that like, there's a lot of uh, a lot of this movie takes place in a cemetery towards mm-hmm. the end of this, which I love. A creepy, I, creepy cemetery. I love movies that take place in cemeteries and funeral homes. We need more of them. I think that is just like prime, just like graveyards are mm-hmm. spooky. I, I, I need more of those horrors. But so definitely like getting to like the fear of death and like seeing like what's you know it was kind of sad seeing like the skeleton of like the dead baby and everything but so what i was getting at because you mentioned the upside down cross Mm -hmm. i really wonder how much like i feel like that the writer david seltzer had to do so much research for this movie to like get a lot of these like religious themes and metaphors in this because i found it like really 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 interesting that they they got out of their way to explain that where the cemetery is it's 15 kilometers south of uh, did they say north or south of rome i, th- I think they said north of rome actually mm-hmm. but um i just find that interesting because it's like the so so like in the book of genesis there's a passage in there that says it, it's when god is like casting like the devil serpent out of the garden of eden and he said and the scripture says um, he will strike at your head while you strike at his heel foreshadowing the crucifixion of Christ. Cause like the, the hill that he was crucified on was called like, like skull. It, it translates to like mountain of skulls or something like that. And so it's kind of like oh. the whole, like, you know, like, so like, and if you think about crucifixion, the heels are at the bottom, like on the skull. So anyways, I found it like interesting that like, there's kind of like this whole thing with Rome in a very like directional vertical location of like this very like, evil cemetery like where bad things are and everything in rome being kind of like the the mecca for catholicism i don't know i just found all that like kind of like interesting like how they, they wrote that into this and just like getting building more into like that fear of like religious truths or like the devil and things like that yeah i really i love when they build up the mythology behind some horror and mm-hmm. it's I don't know. I agree with you. It must take a lot of research because, again, I feel like we're so immersed in things like upside down crosses um, and possession now. But that's because it's been on every episode of Supernatural and the X-Files and every movie. And And every exorcist (laughs) movie. Yeah. Right. But it must have been so shocking when like this and the exorcist and Rosemary's baby came out and there's just all this like wild religious iconography and danger and violence and. Yeah, new fears, new Mm -hmm. old fears. (laughs) Well, it's like kind of interesting too because it's you know so many movies you know they there is some sort of like original text that they pull from you know Mm -hmm. lots of like novels or you know oral tradition. So it's like kind of cool to see this era where like like let's just let's go to scripture and like pull and like see how we could like make horror out of this. It's it's kind of interesting. 
Oh, yeah. It makes me really want to do a like socio-political analysis of what was happening around these religious horror movies in the 70s, specifically in the U.S. Like, what was fueling that? <laughs> and I... I have to imagine part of it was like the the religious revival, like the televangelists getting started and just oh. things being more in like the consciousness. I wonder, so that's a really great point because I almost, I almost wonder if the, the, the televangelists, if that was kind of like a counter to all of the violence that people were seeing in media because like around this time, mm. this is when like the, the Viet, I believe the Vietnam War was also being televised mm-hmm. and there's so much brutality and violence going on and um, this is also, I believe, around the time of Watergate, too. So there's also like this like political unrest, like people, at least in the United States, not being able to like trust mm-hmm. the government and everything. And so it's, mm. yeah, so I think that yeah, there's... Now, I want to do a whole episode now just analyzing this time. What mm-hmm. was going on and how did it influence all these horror movies? Yeah, no, it would be cool to tie this in with like Texas Chainsaw Massacre because like that's like... Because that's like the the movie a lot of academics go to that like reflect mm-hmm. all those things I just mentioned. But I think that there is like another side of that to what you brought up with all these other like Christi- Christianity horror movies that are coming out too. It, it, it's, it's so cool. I don't know. It's cool to kind of think about the, the political side of that and like how it's just a contemporary reflection of how everything was going. <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever we're anxious about, we as like different groups that make up society and like different communities that influence each other, just because like, like it or not, it's like the membranes of a cell, like things move between, you can't help but be exposed to some things. Right, yeah. So like getting into that, do you think that this movie is presenting like the fear of like just giving up on your faith whether it's catholicism or not just just being faithless because and just because mm-hmm. i feel the movie does kind of i feel like went out of its way to talk about how certain members both father brennan and then the the priest that gave up damien to gregory peck that they both were they both mentioned how they had like fallen from grace or like fallen from their faiths and they both had like the 666 uh, symbols on them so i wonder if this movie is talking about how just like giving up on your faith is is something that you should be worried or concerned about and fearful of i mean that's possible i think there are so many reads on this one that i would also get is wasn't everything perfect before they even knew about the religious mythology and what came out of religion wasn't everything perfect in their family before they the priest started saying weird shit and they started suspecting anything about an antichrist? Mm, interesting. So it's kind of like when is actually when the religion got introduced to them. That's when it's like they when have stuff the goes years because like without knowing that, what are they worried about? Right. And that's kind of like goes back to like that very like uh, imperialism, colonial thing of like, you know, that we need to send people on missions and spread the word kind of thing because they don't know. They don't know what what they need to be scared of. Yeah. Right. We need to make them afraid of things so that they act in the ways we want. Mm -hmm. And it feels a little bit like. Here's the thing. Nefarious or not, because we don't know. Did the priest help anything? I know he was trying to, but you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Or did he, much like Final Destination, put pieces in place that would lead to like the things that he thought should happen? Like, what oh. if he had never approached Gregory Peck about anything? Hmm. Again, I, that's so interesting to think Why about. Why did the photographer start noticing and then tie them to something? Because he had a little like, oh, maybe it's this. Right? And then you get those people together and you point them somewhere. You know, it's it's also easy to give people a story. Right. That makes enough sense. I don't know. I think there's a lot of reads on it because it's also like they're presented as this like fairly a-religious, well-to-do, elitist couple who basically steals a baby from Italy. (laughs) (laughs) And like, yeah, maybe it is a condemnation of some kind. Interesting. Okay. And uh, hmm. I've never really thought about, you know, like how how would the movie play out if the harbingers, like the priest, never like came back into the movie? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because part of what I don't know and I love not knowing is that first nanny. What exactly happened there? I don't know. And I love it because it it's like the thing burned in my brain when I was, again, a child watching this, which is insane. <laughs> but I just remember loving the ridiculous ridiculousness of the like the juxtaposition of what she's doing and what she's saying and just being like that is so messed up I don't get it and like it's stuck in my brain why why does she do it and why is I don't know I will routinely just think of that scene like it's all for you Damien it's all for you I don't it's so good I I have I mean I'm I'm excited to get to the mess- or like messaging slash interpretations because <laughs> I do have a read on that. I'm pretty sure it's a very common one, but uh, it's also horrifying to think that as like a young child that was imprinted on your brain. I know. I can't believe they just showed that on TV with commercials. It's all <laughs> like for that you. Wasn't... <laughs> I know. I mean, that and the the impaling are... I think as a child, I thought they were supposed to be funny. I now understand they're not. But they they were so tonally off from what I was expecting that I was like, oh, it's funny. Like, it's absurd. Yeah, it's kind of like that thing, like, you just don't know how to respond, so you kind of just yeah. laugh at it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you're mentioning these kills and everything. Do you want to get into what, you know, the scariest scenes or aspects of this movie? Yeah. I mean, I think we've covered a bunch, but yeah, let's get it. Cause there it's actually scary. It is to me. It was the quiet moments that were the scariest, not necessarily the kills. The kills were great, mm-hmm. but maybe it's just because I've seen them gift to death. But um, <laughs> I, the the scene that creeped me out the most was when the photographer and um, Gregory Peck meet for the first, well, w- when they are starting to investigate for the first time mm-hmm. and they go to Father Brennan's apartment and it's Ooh. just covered, like the walls are covered in like Bible pages. and Ripped out Bible pages. And there's just Ooh. crosses everywhere and like. He reveals the picture he got from the mirror there. And like that whole scene when they're in there was so 
scary to me just because mm-hmm. just like the implication of like what Father Brennan was going through and what yeah. he thought he was trying to fight against and keep out. And the music is also like very scary here, this too and everything. And I just like in that room is so small. I like even felt claustrophobic. And I was just like, get mm-hmm. just just get out of this fucking room, please. Like just get out. It Yeah. The the implication of the insanity. Yeah, it's it's really good. It, it reminded me a little bit of like da, 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 John Doe's apartment in seven. It kind of reminded oh, yeah. me of that a little bit. Oh, there's even like religious stuff in there too. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, this was the scariest part to me. I know it's like a very quiet moment and there's nothing like actually happening, but it's just all of like the gaps that your head is filling in about like what the fuck has been going on with Father Brennan. Like, ugh, I just, it just creeped me out. There's something just but like Bibles being ripped up and just like used as like wallpaper <laughs> for, for protection though is, right. is very scary, I think. And also they find the, the diary and the photographer goes, um, none of it is about him. It's all about you. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh. <sighs> terrifying. It's so scary. Yeah, it that is. was both my favorite scene and the scariest scene for me. I, I feel like it walks the line of whether you think it is insanity or religious mania or prophecy. It's all scary. What it like did to his brain. Yeah. Yeah, because he could be like a crazy stalker. And or I guess there's there's really all of the above. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the scariest scene for me is definitely when she's in the hospital bed and she says or she whispers, please don't let him kill me. And then the second scariest one, which I think has been copied a million and one times, but it still scared me in this movie when Lee is in the hospital room and you see. Mrs. Baylock appear like in the window behind her. Yeah. No, I I knew it was coming, but it was, it was still just expertly shot and done. It was very scary. I honestly didn't expect uh, the wife to die. I I was surprised by that. I mean, this movie, I really respect how they were just like, no, people are dead. Mm -hmm. People die. This is very serious. And there's still like 45 minutes left in the movie after she dies, too. I know. I mean, that's part of, I think if there is any socio-political commentary here, it's also about like the disposability of mothers, both Damien's original mother, and then, what's her face? <laughs> the, uh, Catherine. Kathy. But what does he call her? Kathy? Yeah. Kathy. You know, how... Even in the house, she's not essential, but she tries to exert control, but she's not the one controlling things. And in the end, she's just like, uh, whoops, bye. I'm just kind of laughing at like w- the exchange that we just had. If you if you say the, the movie saying how like mothers are disposable and you're going, what's her name? <laughs> I, just, I know. <laughs> because it's not about her, but oh, how sad is that? And again, she's also like, but she's also a good example too of like that fear we talked about how like, you know, the lack of agency she even has in the, in all this. Oh, absolutely. She is someone who wants to be in control of her life, but just it isn't through, I mean, both her decisions and not her decisions. Right. Yeah. And she finds herself at the mercy of people with an agenda because she doesn't seem to have one. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, that that hospital scene is really good. 
I know. And hospitals are so scary anyway, but hospitals ran the- by nuns is scary. I don't know why, but it is. Like the <laughs> I mean, that's a whole horror subgenre, I think. Like, there's a good episode of Buffy where she has to spend a couple days in a hospital and she's like feverish. And it's like, is she hallucinating or are there monsters here? Oh, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, I think, speaking of like nuns and hospitals, just very quickly, another scene that I really liked, um, this will be the last one I mentioned, is um, when they are, when they go back to the hospital where they adopted Damien mm-hmm. and it, we have the, the the sister kind of like give like all the exposition about how like it burnt down that night and like the fire started in the basement <laughs> with all the records and moved up to the third floor. Um, I just heard telling that like spooked me. I was like, fuck. I love it. I feel like what I, what kind of sucks is as you're watching, as I was watching this movie, I was like, oh my God, I'm getting shadows of every horror thing I've ever seen. But they copied and referenced and made homages. And so, like, I had to keep reminding myself, like, but this, went, if we saw this in 1976, we would be scared. Yeah. I mean, I was spooked watching this last night. Yeah. And we wouldn't have seen these tropes a million times. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm so glad you liked it because, again, one of my favorites, the way I feel about it, it almost feels campy, but it has no camp. See, I think that it's like a just the smallest, the smallest whisper of of camp in it. The, okay, that's fair. Just, just like the smallest. That amount. nanny, that the it's all for you, Damien. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about the perf- the performance is pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so fucking creepy. Yeah, no. Uh, if we were the rewatchable, uh, she would definitely get the Dion Waiters Award. Uh, yeah, because she just <laughs> she has like the the smallest amount of screen time, but just kills it. Uh, it's yeah. so good. Absolutely maximizes it. Like, give her an award. So moving on to the messaging interpretation slash was like tinfoil hat theories of <laughs> this episode for the Omen. Um, we have speculated a lot so far, you know, whether or not he's actually possessed. Does he, does Damien himself have agency over what's going on? How much of this is influence? I, I don't necessarily have like a message besides like what the movie bluntly says, just about like how like, you know, our politicians are going to ruin the world <laughs> and it's accurate. I think so like an interpretation I have, about like, you know, like within the movie for Mrs. Baylock, and this is probably like a common theory, but I'm new to the movie. I <laughs> think that Mrs. Baylock is Damon, Damien's actual mother. Ooh, that's my theory. Okay. Totally possible. And with the, because I feel like the dominoes all fall from the nanny killing herself and the, the hell dog telling her to do it. And she giving the message from Satan, I guess that, you know, this is all for you, bud. Yeah. You know, <laughs> go, go at it sport. This is all for you. And that literally like kicks off all of like the, the spooky shit that we get in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that also then, leads a vacancy for Mrs. Baylock to like come in and she like lies about how 
the, the the agency or whatever like sent her there the service group did i mean she has like papers but i feel like she could have forged those very easily well i like how they both question her and they're kind of like what agency and mrs balak is literally like the agency and like you know the one the, the same one that your prior nanny worked for that i you know we saw in the paper how she died whatever the one is replacement. Called. we all know the name <laughs> yeah we don't need to say it yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think that because with the the prophecy that the movie has with the Book of Revelations about how you know like it, the the Antichrist will rise through like politicians, politics, and so Mrs. Balak, Damien's mother, just wasn't in that circle, so she had to give him up to the ambassador here, and then thus at the end of the movie gets adopted by his best friend, the president of the United States and to be raised mm-hmm. there. So this is, I feel like all just kind of like going in with that, but I do feel like that Mrs. Balak is actually his biological mother. Interesting. I've never thought about that because I really like thinking about whether he is the antichrist at all and like what it all means. So, like, when I was watching the movie, I was skeptical. I was questioning, is he actually, or is this just a kid, you know, like, or is right, it... with a very unfortunate birthmark. Right, yeah. But I feel <laughs> like that the movie does answer he is the Antichrist with the birthmark and everything. At the Maybe. End. But, like, why... Hmm. Well, why does the priest die? He already knows, and he's already told. Like, what is priest? he being punished for? Which priest? The priest who tells Gregory Peck, like, what's up? Well, uh, why does he die? Oh, because the devil doesn't want him to to know about this. Because because he, he's acting on, I mean, like, you know. But he already, like, he already super, told. Still, I mean, the devil's vengeful. All, all demons are vengeful. I don't know. It's a little bit like, I, I don't know. Part of the show Supernatural, like, we meet Satan. Spoiler alert. It's not really a spoiler alert. But, like, some of the time he shows up to things and people are like, aren't you a little important to be here? (laughs) And, like, that's kind of how I feel about this movie, too, is, like, really, is Satan sitting here, like, orchestrating little, like, windshield? (laughs) 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 I don't know. I, I mean, yes, I think the smile at the end is supposed to be, like, something is not right here. And, like, there's more bad to come. But we haven't actually seen Damien do, like, it's not like he's out torturing animals. It's not like he's a little serial killer, you know? Right. Well, I think also that's that's playing into, like, the whole ploy. Because he, for him to, like, do what he has to do as Antichrist, he still needs to gain political rise and everything. And a serial killer can't do that. So that's yeah, why he but, has all the, these demon dogs and Mrs. Baylock doing like kind of being there for him. It just speaks to a level of emotional control that makes me then like, oh, well, then he's moldable. I think it also plays into uh, and this came up a lot, actually, during that Shutter mm-hmm. documentary I mentioned, but just about how. The I forget what that's I forget that the exact quote, but you know, like the 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 greatest trick the devil pulls was making the world believe he didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And at least in the Shutter documentary, that's kind of like what they they brought that up a lot in this and like their read mm-hmm. of the movie too about how trying to that's why the harbin all the harbingers were being 
punished by by the mm. devil because he doesn't want people to know because they're like shit like they're seeing the signs oh. they're seeing the plan we got to snuff okay. them out okay got it okay so like gregory peck is just supposed to raise this kid yeah in in elite circles so that he can eventually like trick everybody and I don't I don't know what happens. Kick off revelations or something. I guess. I, yeah. Burning lakes, I think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Stuff I've picked up. But Yeah, you got it. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really read that book. <laughs> I have no idea. And again, most of what I know about religion I learned from Supernatural. So it's probably not right. Nice. And the omen. And the omen. <laughs> <laughs> nice but uh so that was like one of my main interpretations of this movie was that mrs Baylock is actually his biological mother i like that i mean i think yeah i never thought about biological mother i always think more about like what does it mean in this world and what can he get up to and who else is out there to help you know like if there's one mrs Baylock, and there there are others there are dark nuns right they're I don't know what you call them. Dark nuns. That's great. Demon nuns. I guess. Yeah. I mean, there is like the the nun from the Conjuring, uh, Valak. De- yeah. Demon nun. Demon nuns. Demon nuns. <laughs> also, just the fact that like Damien is so close to demon. <laughs> oh, I mean, that has to be why they picked it, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I did. I find- don't think that Damien is his traditionally like a an evil name. I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. I did, for how Catholic this movie is, I found it really interesting that the writer is Jewish. I I don't know. I just, like, kind of find that just really interesting. And, like, cool. I think that's, like, fine. That's, you know, just, that made me think that, like, a lot of, like, other, like, research had to go into this, too, for that, for those reasons. But, um. That and but it also does make me wonder how much of it was just like in the culture and people were being exposed to it. Mm. You know, like, was this a situation where like it's all around and then there are these social fears and horror is getting big and it's like, huh, that's an idea. And uh, (laughs) I would imagine as a Jewish writer writing something like this would be like a little bit more fun too, just because like it would feel like I don't it would feel like less sacred. Less sacred. Also, there's even more of a fantasy too, because um, yeah. you know, in Judaism they don't believe in hell exists. So it's kind of like, all right, let's, let's play in that sandbox, you know. <laughs> I mean, I also kind of like take this movie, but don't believe in hell. What is the Antichrist? I just I love all the questions you could pose out of this. Of like, sure, maybe they got quote unquote the right baby in the right place to do these evil things, but. Like in the book Good Omens, you don't know that this kid is just going to be evil and want to like do evil. Yeah, that whole bit, same thing. Fear of parenthood. You just, Much like parenting, you're just yeah. rolling the dice, and it's like, huh, kids will do what they're going to do. <laughs> Which does make me actually want to see more of the Omen, but only if they could do it in like a very smart way. You mean like just like expanding this universe some? Yeah. Okay. Like. Are there other maybes? Maybe baby <laughs> Satan's out there? <laughs> like, is Mrs. Balak part of a of a little like group and they all are like deployed around, you know, to like keep oh. an eye out? 
Like oh. maybe there are like six different potentials. Interesting. And then, well, the thing is like with that story that you just said, that kind of like turns into like, there's a whole like, is, like, is she a succubus at that point too? Like her, like in the group, like going like across the world, just tr- trying. Mm, <laughs> just, yeah. What are they? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's. Th- but I, I love, that would be a fun tie in of like, is she just one minion of Satan? Of course not, right? If that's what she is, there's more. Mm. Balok also sounds like the name of a demon, doesn't it? Balok? I don't know. It, it is. There's a demon named Belloc. Oh. Well, how about that shit? I, I mean, that's like a one-to-one. Like, that's not, that's like a supernatural level of, like, naming. <laughs> Damien and Belloc. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then also then just... The, the names in this like I, I brought up damien and then belloc but i don't know and then then we get like such like a mundane name of like the photographer keith i don't know it's just kind of fun. not too yeah. much to, to, to derive from that but i mean i could be making this up because i've never read the bible but again in the show supernatural belloc is a demon and i'm assuming supernatural didn't make that up if it's also in the omen so it's either from the bible or from pop culture christian media well horror also just loves to reference itself so like could they be like oh that was a cool name from 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 a horror movie was used that in our show yeah that's definitely possible i just tried to google the bible belloc and i got are there white people in the bible (laughs) (laughs) that's a different video (laughs) the internet is painful orlean it's that was unexpectedly really hilarious. That's a good point. It could be totally made up. It could also just be something Latin sounding. Yeah, because I mean, like, even I forget which two characters, but like, there are two characters in Scream Three that are literally just named after like producers from the first movie. So like, it, it, the genre mm. is something that like really eats itself. So it it could, I mean, it could. It, hey, if people listening know if you're if you're up to date on your demonology, I'm not. But like. Maybe don't tell us. It's better if we don't know. Also, yeah. this this reminds me of the movie Fallen. Did you ever see that with Denzel Washington? Mm-mm. Demon murderers and Denzel Washington is a police detective who's investigating demon murders. There's a Schwarzenegger movie like that, too. Interesting. Really? Yeah. I only, I, I again, I, the things they used to just show on TV. <laughs> it's rated r <laughs> kids today are so coddled <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's what it takes <laughs> i am full of hot takes every time we talk So before we wrap things up, uh, this is a fun segment we like to do called the Cabin in the Woods Trinket segment in which we will pick a a movie prop or item to put in the basement of the Cabin in the Woods to summon Damien, the Antichrist, uh, (laughs) from the Omen. Orly, before the thunder interrupted you, uh, what what, 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 uh, items were you thinking about putting down there? Okay, I have to preface this by saying... I would not summon Damon Damien to save me because well, I no don't think he's going to be that much help. He is a tiny baby. Right. With arguably no powers. So 
I don't know what use it would be, but I would have to include like the bell from his tricycle. Oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay, so so not the tricycle, but the bell. The bell. Okay. Especially because when you're in the basement, you just pick up a bell and you're like, ooh, what does this do? And then you ring it and all of a sudden there's a tiny baby Satan. Hell's bells. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I had the tricycle on my list. Uh, not going to mm-hmm. lie. I did have that. But I was also thinking of the camera that the photographer is yeah, using. That's that a great one. Yeah. I also feel like that the like whatever you pick up it will transport you into that apartment with all like the Bible pages everywhere. Just like oh. whatever, once you activate it, you're just like there and you're like, what's like, yeah. Cause like that felt like a, like the basement, like in the cabin was cause like the basement is mm-hmm. supposed to be like a place where you're just like, don't fucking go in there. Like that's what that right. is. And like that was the apartment was that for me. Yeah. I agree. It just made me really think, though, that it would be fun if we made a cabin trinkets video game and then built out all of these, like, what you would jump to <laughs> for well, each of them. That would be really cool. There, Have you ever played the board game uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill? It's no. a lot like Cabin in the Woods in that, like, it, it's a really fun board game where like, you're building your own haunted house as you go mm, and you pick up objects okay. and stuff. And it is very Cabin in the Woodsy because, like, there's like a booklet with like over 100 scenarios and, like, you don't know, like, oh, what wow. trinket you'll get and activate whatever curse that you do. That sounds it, so fun. It's okay. really fun. My wife and I play all play a bunch. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. I like that. But, anyways, yeah. So. <laughs> I also I think like the last thing I had was like maybe like like a tombstone like what we see from the cemetery. Ooh, one of those old old like Italian tombstones. Old ones, but like you can't like see what it says, so, like it forces you to have to go like dust it up and whatever and but like Don't touch it. Well, don't touch it. <laughs> well, that's the thing like like you can't see what it says, so like it's, it's like enticing you to be like, "Hey, come clean me and see what I see what yeah. see what I say." Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. A- any other objects from you? No. Honestly, this movie is kind of sparse. It kind of is. I-, I guess I guess we got to, before like somebody like screams at us on Twitter, I guess we got to say the daggers. Oh, sure. But like, those are like mm-hmm. more like weapons to kill. It. It's not like to summon it, you know? They're not really like featured in any way where it's like, uh. Those things. Yeah. Yeah. What if... Uh, this wasn't in the movie, but what if it's just like a pack of dice, but they only roll on sixes? <laughs> so like, like you're going down there, be like, oh hey, like, like we need some extra dice for Monopoly, and they yeah, just, like, I like keeps... that. And there's three of them, but they all all roll sixes. And don't you like go that. to jail, Monopoly, if you like roll doubles three times in a row? I think that's a rule. It's either that or Parcheesi, but yeah. I don't know if that's a real rule or somebody's house rule that just made it big. <laughs> it's it's a rule in one of those games, man. We're turning to a board game podcast. but <laughs> I, I mean, I love games and I think, you know, maybe we'll make a horror board game at some point. That'd, that'd be, be fun. That'd be loads of fun. I spend too much time going on YouTube looking at reviews of board games. Not going to lie. <laughs> what I really want is for us to write our own horror choose your own adventure. That would be a load of fun. Because we're, I don't know, we're we're covering so many different tropes and we're analyzing the ways they're presented to us and like what they mean and what they could mean. And 
I feel like we're building up a really good encyclopedia. <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. So I'm I'm out of objects to put down in the mm-hmm. basement. Me too. Alrighty. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Autopsy of a Horror Movie. We have been discussing The Omen from 1976, directed by Richard Donner. Uh, This was my first time watching it. This was one of Orlean's favorites. Uh, Thank you for exposing me to this movie. I really enjoyed this, and this was a really fun one to just, like, speculate on so many different things. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you love Final Destination, you've got to watch this one. Yeah, absolutely. Again, this was a lot of fun, and over on the Patreon, we will be doing a kill grade from the deaths of this movie, so be sure to head over to patreon.com slash and thank you to Tiffany, Jasher, and James. You guys are awesome. We appreciate the support, uh, and there are links in the show notes if people want to head over there for bonus content, early access, videos of our recording will also be on there too. So, um, yeah, tell friends, spread spread the word about us. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brucker Horror. Orlean, where can they find you? You can find me at Spooky Orlean on Instagram and Twitter. And what, what, do you got, what, what are you cooking up over there on your podcast, Spooky and Strange? Oh, great question. So I just did my first author interview. This author who is about to put out a body horror anthology from about 20 different authors Ooh, that's so really cool. exciting stuff that's very cool that that's gonna be fun to to listen to what when are you allowed to say the name of the book when it's coming out and stuff or is it like like heavy embargo right now so it's called ooze uh little bursts of body horror so if that delights your mind definitely keep an eye out for that but i will say it's not for everyone well, cool. That's so awesome. Love. We, I've been, I've been talking to some people trying to get some interviews on here. So we'll see what we got coming up in a few months. But uh, this has been really fun. Thank you, Orlean. Thank you, everybody for listening. And be sure to watch some good movies. We'll see you next time. With oh, I don't I actually don't know because I think we're caught up. Thank you again, everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Autopsy of a Horror Movie. It means so much to us that you choose us to listen to out of all the other podcasts that are out there. If you could please help us grow by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at Brucker Horror, retweeting, sharing our episodes, and come check out the Patreon page. This is a passion project and we dedicate so much time and effort into it and it means so much to see other people enjoying the show just as much as we enjoy putting our uh, time into it so over on the patreon at patreon.com slash horror you can get bonus episodes bonus kill grades commentary tracks special topics voting options and also a private discord channel that you could be a part of and if you just want to join the non-private discord channel just hit me up on twitter or instagram at Brucker horror i'll be happy to uh, grow that flock All right, guys, thank you so much for listening and please share with friends.